welcome John Grant to the Cam Marketing Save the Planet podcast. It's an absolute joy to have you here. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and also giving us a bit of an, an, a background as to how you got started with Greener Marketing? Okay, so Greener Marketing's the name of my book that came out last year. It's my eighth book and I've written a lot of books on different topics, but two of them have been directly about um, environmental sustainability and one was more about what you could call the sharing economy and circular models and things like that. So how did I get into that? Well, once upon a time, I volunteered in a development charity when I was a student and that was my, I spent the whole summer doing that and I was like, gee, I'd really like to continue doing this. I was a very sort of uh, politically minded, save the world minded sort of person at that age. But I realized that actually stuffing envelopes in the press office probably was all I was qualified to do. So um, part of my rationale for going to work in what was then regarded as the evil world of advertising for different mm. reasons was to get some skills so that I, in my career plan, in my mind, at, you know, at the age of 2021, 20, I was going to come back in four or five years and then be the marketing manager of a charity and apply the skills that I'd picked up. Um, so that was the plan. And then I got stuck because obviously the agency world is fascinating. And I actually got a lot of opportunities working with people like Amnesty or the Disasters Emergency Committee to do that job on the agency side, but also found myself in conversations with people from Germany at Volkswagen about whether they should put their money into car sharing rather than advertising and, and things like that. So it's sort of, I found a space for my mm-hmm. values in the place that I'd wandered into. And then a group of us started an agency in the 90s that was very much with that mindset called St. Luke's. And we worked with a huge variety of companies. Um, one of our biggest clients was IKEA, um, uh, which was the first one we one when we relaunched at St. Luke's, but we also worked with everybody from Anita Roddick to HSBC. And we were really on about sustainability, role in society, corporate social responsibility, all those sort of things in the 90s. And then I left that to pursue a career writing and consulting in, you know, like the height of the dot-com boom. And, mm-hmm. you know, for various personal and professional reasons, it seemed a good way to move on. And then quite a few of my client projects were utterly tied in knots. Like, so the IKEA client that we had in London went on to become the president of the company, invited me and some colleagues in to help him with this new communication issue that they'd been looking at sustainability for about 12 years and they were now ready to go out and start communicating about it. And about the same time, I ran into a character called Jonathan Porritt, who's been my mentor uh, very kindly for a very long time and got a group of people together in the marketing industry um, to talk about how can we make marketing, which is, you know, people and planet positive and like advancing the agendas that all of us have been, you know, writing and thinking about. So that's how I got into it. And then at various times I've been full on the green marketing guy, like 2006, seven, I literally couldn't move for public speeches and consulting opportunities. Other times, to be honest, 2011, 2012, I also started an eco startup helping to green companies and got Deborah Meaden to invest in it and ran that for six years on the side whilst consulting with companies. And, you know, I've also, and I, I think it's rather like the original thing of going to get some skills. I have done innovation projects on the future of this, that, and the other with people like Philips and um, Samsung and that actually, and working with digital campaigns and working with the creative frontiers of business 
actually gives me something to bring into a meeting when I sit down with an eco toiletries company and talk about how to grow their business. Um, so I'm very much a marketing person in Greenland rather than a green person in marketing land, um, at least in terms of skills. And, you know, at the moment, it's been extremely busy on this front. The last, I think about two or three years, ever since you started seeing corporate announcements with words like mm -hmm. science-based or net zero, yeah. there's been a renewed, thank God, momentum that hasn't gone away through uh, COVID. So I'm pretty, pretty much full on nearly all the time working on this kind of stuff. Do you want any more of my life history? No, I mean, <laughs> Sorry, I think... <laughs> taking up half the podcast, so, you know, I'm just quite old. I'm afraid there's, there's a long answer to that question. I, think, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you have got uh, a lot of experience in this area. I think one thing it's interesting, you talking about, you know, when you were talking to VW about, is it about advertising or car sharing? This is the, something that keeps coming up around social marketing. Is it behaviours that we need to change? and stop selling people stuff that they don't necessarily need. And I think it's really interesting how, you know, marketing does change behaviours. And it's fair to say that we, we've played a significant role in getting the planet to where it is today through driving consumption and up through the mm. roof and, and telling the story we want people to hear and, and all of those things. It's something Michelle and I talk about often. Um, so I guess, you know, shoot. Should we begin by having a chat about the role that marketing's played in getting us here first, in your views? Yeah, no, it's a really good... So everything that has made Tesla, Oatly, Impossible, you know, the new green mm -hmm. super, super brands and bits of companies like Adidas Parley, everything that has made those the new normal so fast um, comes from the marketing toolkit, which was traditionally applied to selling cars and perfumes and um, there was um, Victor Papanek who wrote Design for the Real World and really was ahead of his time in thinking about actually the, the evils of um, both industrial design and advertising. And he said that, you know, our profession, my profession, was the process of um, selling people that things that they didn't need to impress people that they didn't even like. And it's this sort of idea of a culture of envy. There were so many, you know, we looked a lot actually at diversity in the 90s when we were, we got into a lot of trouble in debates with clients, you know, very mainstream clients like HSBC, where we wanted to cast in line with our ideas of diversity and not with, you know, what necessarily a focus group would say was that they expected to see and, and so forth. And the I think the evils of marketing are many. I just wonder if um, the question is, if you're not the president of the world, can you help move things forward in this profession and can you do an honourable good job? Just as if you're in the food industry, you may be running a Buddhist vegan cafe and you may not be responsible for the global epidemic of diabetes or the, the harm done by um, cash crops across the world and so forth. And it's sort of, if you don't, move from where we are and you don't try and revolutionize the bit that you're in um you know the only the only alternative is to be a distance and to sort of somehow try and leave the game and i don't think you know if you go off and become a teacher or a nurse or something you will find yourself in another conflict ridden profession with you know dilemmas and things to solve but they like not to cover it up there is no doubt that marketing is hugely responsible for where we're at and there is an alternative game to the one that we're all playing which is what if we just simply banned it 
and um, like um, the president of the WWF, Pavan Sukhdev, said like, can we just get rid of the persuasion and bullshit and just focus on giving people information about products? But absolutely like the cigarette market, just go dark. And I think that is a very viable alternative. Yep, it is. I think there is an alternative. And, and, and I also think it's, there's also something about, well, where does marketing fit? And are we the persuaders and, and the promoters and the advertisers? Or are we back into brand and purpose? You know, where, where does marketing sit here? It's, it isn't just about the comms, is it, and the pro, promotions. It's also about what's going on in the hearts and minds of our consumers, our employees, the investors, the stakeholders, and kind of feeding that back into the strategic direction that a business goes in. Uh, not necessarily, I mean, the Patagonias, the Ben and Jerry's, they've, mm. they've kind of started out with purpose at the heart of their business and and doing good well, for they, the people and planet kind of at the heart, haven't they? They, but, they have, but, you know, Patagonia has a huge issue with plastic coming from their clothes out of washing machines and into waterways, which is a real worry for them. And they don't, you know, they, they're doing everything they can with the sector economy and energy for their factories. Yeah. But then, and, you know, and Ben and Jerry sells ice cream um, with everything from the dairy industry and the impact of that through to uh, people's diets. The, I mean, one of the questions for marketing and the purpose marketing is do the, um, do the good means justify any bad ends. So one of the, to pick another example, like disposable nappies, one of the um, really enlightened marketers of the early digital age was Pampers. They were the first to start an online community called the Pampers Parenting Institute. You know, it wasn't very snappy, but it was one of the first places online for non-technical mums who weren't IT workers to meet and do what people do now on mum's net. Yeah. And you don't say, is it just me? And, and provide a huge network of emotional support. And they got a lot of um, public support and brand um, goodwill from that. And, you know, in Mexico, for instance, they taught parents to tell bedtime stories while and just let their kids fall asleep with tablets. So they've done enormous amounts of purpose-led social good with their marketing, but they make a product that will sit in landfill for the next 500 years, mm. um, not by degrading. And, um, and there are alternatives. So others have made nappies that biodegrade in three to five years. So the sort of purpose-led marketing thing, and I think it's a big question for the mainstream players like Unilever, where does good marketing excuse bad stuff or, or even middling stuff or stuff that isn't as, as forward and how, and I think you've got to start wherever you are in that because you're a brand manager who's just inherited a brand and you've got to gallop as fast as you can on the sustainability questions as well as the purpose ones. But I think it's become a bit of a panacea, yeah. the purpose thing. And it is, it's just as intoxicating as spirits ads were in the eighties. It just catches people's hearts and imagination but it doesn't necessarily excuse what's under mm. underneath mm -hmm. yeah I th and i think you know i think it's because of the complexities around sustainability inevitably if you are a big established organization you're not going to turn that round overnight so you talk about the unilevers they're making very solid inroads into changing a lot of what they do but as you say with pampers there's still a lot there that's still damaging the environment and i think it's about it's about understanding 
sustainability and where your organization impacts and then making the changes and showing that you are moving forward and you are progressing because mm. nobody's going to change this overnight. And it is one of those conversations where you can go down one road and suddenly you go, yeah, but what about this? What about this? What about this? And you're thinking, mm. oh my goodness. And then I think that then leads to some people, individuals, organizations, governments just going, well, we can't solve it. And that's the bit I think we need to get past the bit that it we can yes. make change. And that's what we need to keep doing is driving the fact that don't give up because it's difficult because we are inherently mm. lazy as humans, aren't we? And we just yeah. really want an easy path to, to progress along. But this is, a you know, it's taken years and years and years of what we've been doing to get us to this point. So we need to get us out of it, but it's going to take years and years and years to progress ourselves away from it. One of the formulas I got to in my previous book um, was, and it was around the greenwash issue, was it's not about making normal things seem green. It's about making green things seem normal. Yes. And if you're willing to be disruptively innovative, if you're willing, for instance, to ask people to share cars rather than own one, then everything else, you know, that really creates a sort of tension which you can market into and you can lead in markets. And that, you know, that's often the kind of position I would try to look with clients for because it's you know it's literally sustainable it is something that you can sustain over time and build a real lead and point of difference and um there is also a fundamental conflict which is you know marketing is shiny shiny and superficial and you know the side of all of us that you know like to dress up and be attractive and you know all of those kind of other things but it is um and it's a tension span of a NAS. It wants something like sim- something simple and something sexy. Even if you're talking about you know computing and services and insurance, it wants that. And yet, sustainability is um, you know what appears sustainable and what is sustainable are often different things. And there are usually huge you know a simple question like is it better in many um, formats to have plastic or paper right now? So um, and there are various answers, like Tesco's yeah. now offers uh, paper carrier bags. ASOS looked into it and decided to do other things on circular economy, but to keep the plastic because, yeah. and the same debates about palm oil. There was a huge debate about palm oil and the, the people supporting the responsible palm oil side of that say, look, there's no other oil, which is, you know, all the other ones have much worse CO2 and other environmental degradation problems. So it's that, you know, it's better to take what we've got and make it sustainable. Um, But it's really hard, you know, even this conversation, you know, in somewhere like the body shop, you just need something simple, which is we make stuff with hemp. It's not, it's not palm oil. It's hope, not dope, you know, but it's just like this simple catchy thing, which, Mm. you know, marketing does, but there is this sort of conflict between the two. And there's often the conflict between the personalities that represent those two meeting as mindset sustainability departments and the brand team and the brand team want to get influencers picking up their products and pop concerts and you know and to do cool stuff and it is difficult for them to integrate what the sustainability people are telling them is is sustainable but the the beautiful coincidence as i call it again in that original book is when you can find an understanding between the two and make something like you know the car club not the car ownership yeah. And do, do you think, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that is a real, I mean, we're, we're kind of stuck 
or, or fixed with the ways that that's what marketing does right now. And it feels to me that marketing really needs to evolve and that that this isn't about, well, the brand team want it to look this way and getting the influencers because the consumer, you, you know, at the moment, if we're positioning and saying, well, this is the expectation to the consumer and this is what the consumer, because that's what marketing does. Consumers are kind of becoming more knowledgeable, aren't they? And, and more questioning about, well, is that right? Is that legitimate? Are we Are we clear on that? Is that the reality, I mean, I know I'm definitely picking a number of holes in in campaigns and things that people are coming, that I'm seeing, and they're saying, that's 100% recyclable. And I'm like, that is a, absolutely not 100% recyclable. Um, mm. So what is, the, what is the role of marketing and the consumer and the customer, do you think? And how is that going to have to evolve as more of a, as more of a authentic kind of honest, transparent partnership than, than it currently is? It's a really good question, and I think I'll go back to my point. It depends. Okay. I had a conversation last week with a big Midwestern um, American food company, and they're they're not getting the pushback for consumers that you might get in North London over things like box cereals and other stuff. And they, when they try to introduce new propositions, sometimes they struggle. So they are doing some amazing things actually, um, and really pushing sustainability, but they're not doing it. Um because you know their you know mainstream american midwestern mum is is demanding it or not necessarily midwestern but you know very mainstream and in other markets you can barely keep up with what people want i mean the supermarkets were tying themselves in knots because people just didn't want plastic near anything after the attenborough documentary and it became the number one thing that uk supermarket customers were asking for even ahead of price Mm -hmm. and they have responded across the board i mean even Tesco's, who I think have been a bit slower than some of the others, have really, you know, some of the most progressive sustainability programs in the world. Um, but it is, um, you know, it really, it really depends. And it can be quite different things. You know, when I work with the telco, um, I did some work with uh, PepsiCo, who, mm-hmm. you know, are in the classic marketing territory, uh, talking to a huge global insurance market that's much more B2B. And all of those have a different set of doors that they can go through, some of which lead towards, you know, real gains and sustainability, but it's, um, it's often not the same thing. And I, I've increasingly over time become very tolerant of anybody, anyone, anywhere on the curve that's willing to take a couple of big steps next year because they're going to move everybody's numbers. We just need to have like a tractor beam our, our eyes on some of the things we need to get to, including, you know, net zero and climate terms, but also halting deforestation, social justice. I mean, there are just some non-negotiable things. And if somebody is willing to take a huge step in that direction, I think we, you know, it's our duty to help them. And, and it's not easy being one of those, you know, when I have worked with people right at the, the darkest green ends, they, they often have, you know, classic marketing based problems in terms of getting stuck in a niche or or they were a real innovator like I worked with Aveda who was setting standards yeah. on this stuff 30 years ago but yeah. they become yeah. a bit auntie because all the new clean be- you know you can start a clean beauty brand on Instagram next week and you know and you know if you're a, you know a PR called Poppy who's got like a really good Instagram following and a, an instinct for good photography but you're not necessarily doing that deep work Aveda were yeah. in the Amazon yeah. working with indigenous people 
30 years ago and doing amazing things that were all plant-based and so forth. But in, still in marketing terms, they need to get a new generation and they need to understand what beauty is today and, and other things. And, it, you know, it's not necessarily easy at the top no. <laughs> of that spectrum either. No. Or, or to actually, when I had my startup helping companies go greener with their employees, I talked to the Eden Projects. I've been working with them. They were like, we literally couldn't do anything else. Everybody cycles here. We have no heating. Yes. <laughs> you know, just literally. Because. And everybody here is quite guilty. And, you know, they could do with, like, just letting themselves off the hook occasion, but we can't incentivize them to do more because I'm just not sure that they could. Sort of, like, sitting on a flagpole to work instead of a chair or something. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. But it, so, who's doing? Who's doing well? Who's who do you feel? Who who inspires you around around sustainability and how they're moving forward? Um, combination of the people who've always inspired me, who are the sort of like the Leonardo da Vinci. So, in our generation, you know, the digital and technological innovators that can just see a completely different way of meeting the same human needs and yeah. they um they could be applying blockchain yep. to transforming um you know food traceability they could be using precision biology to um just eliminate you know meat from the food system and and so forth and they fundamentally and they're and they're you know i'm hugely inspired as everybody is by you know ocasio cortez and the other young leaders who are setting the tone for the sort you know the the current generation of um john f kennedy style inspirers who are willing to lead and you know and and give people um both hope and, and direction and um but i you know i meet people that inspire me i mean i i really feel that um I love tagging along and I've got some skills, um, but I, I often feel that the people that I work with are doing a lot more than me because they have material businesses, they have supply chains, and they are physically doing the really, really hard work mm. of, of, of shifting things in the right direction. So um, I'm often in an admiring position on a week-by-week -week basis with the people. Yesterday I interviewed somebody from the Green Belt Movement as part of a, an African sustainability thing, and I was literally, I could have listened for five hours and still been, you know, in awe, <laughs> in awe of yeah. what they've achieved and what their founder achieved. And, um, and you know, in parts of uh, that continent, the, you know, one of the countries, Ethiopia, planted four billion trees last year. I mean, they really are um, on the front line um, and, and doing stuff. And actually writing a nice headline to get them some more support seems like a very thin end of it. Yeah. I... I basically love the the innovators and the people who are willing you know the sort of slightly William Blake I think there's a lot of great British innovators because there's that eccentric ability not just to accept the world the way it is and be able to see it differently and have that sort of slight obsession that you want to pursue you know they're like the Brompton bike I think is yes. like an emblem of the British style of sustainability and it's so ingenious and so beautifully made and so eccentric it just wouldn't have come from an American focus group <laughs> <laughs> like this, this contraption absolutely and I think you know reading reading your book and and read and obviously writing our book that you know you you talk about simple marketing and and you know make yourself aware and educate yourself of what's going on so I mean what 
what would you say to marketers listening to this? You know, because obviously you've spoken of, we've all spoken about the complexity, how you can be going down one road thinking you're doing good, but someone raises four other things that you're doing that are impacting the planet in a negative way. What would you say they need to kind of focus on to not lose that sort of faith in the fact that what they're doing and they need to believe in is good and keep going down that road? I mean, it's a really good question. I, I often think that both marketing and sustainability, probably the one key thing is to get out of the ivory tower and get as much information yeah. and as much diversity in your perspective. And, you know, if you run a chemist and druggist retailer, go and spend some time with like the struggling mums that are coming in with no sleep, looking for something yeah. for their child at the same time as they're working from home and so forth. But get into, you know, sort of Buddhist thing, get out of the palace and get into and among the people, because I think most of the unsustainability in the work, this world comes from people not realising what the implication is when they shout at a wholesaler to get them cheaper prices mm-hmm. and they don't visit their own factories because they don't have their own factories. But the most of the inspiring solutions, as you can see from you know any generation of innovators, also comes from getting very close to the living experience and then being able to imagine how it could go so much better. Yeah. And, so I think just, you know, learning, I think, is the, and and being able to sort of drop your ego a bit and not, because I think the, you know, the entire marketing and corporate world is full of drinking your own Kool-Aid and bigging yourself up, but being able to decenter and yep, see yep. things from other perspectives. And, and that leads on to, you know, I think a good way of muddling through. I, I had this conversation years ago with Charles Handy, the business writer, and he said, oh. I hate the word ethical. Because yep. it's sort of like this flashy thing. It feels like an American press conference. I really prefer the word decent, you know, to sit in a room and say, look, what's the decent thing to do? Yeah. We've got some issues. We've got yeah. some plastic in our packaging and some other stuff. But humanly, let's talk about as human beings and what we would expect as customers and human beings from our company, but also see what we can actually do with the economics and the, you know, yeah. competitors that we have. Now, due to this podcast being filled with so much great stuff, we ended up talking for far longer than usual. So we decided why not turn it into a two-parter. Be sure to join us next time as we carry on the conversation with John and talk more about sustainability and marketing.